Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I'm a feminist, but when I sat down at this computer to do this Zoom call and discovered I was backlit, I realised that I have what women's magazines and shampoo bottles called fly-away hair. And that is because this morning I washed my hair and I did not do one thing to it. I just let it dry because I don't see anyone and I don't go anywhere. So what the fuck is the point of trying? That sounds like a really good feminist. I think you finally cracked it. No, no. Yes, you are. Come on. No. Your hairy flyaway, no effort potato. It's not because I've got an attitude about it because I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. And I've got an attitude about it. Oh, I hate it. I want to sit down and look lovely. And I'm like, you didn't try. That's why you don't look lovely. Now you have all these amazing people. You look lovely. I can't like myself in the back because I've got such a hairy face. I have like this chin halo that you, if there's any, even if it was like daylight coming in, it's like fiber optics <laughs> We're all, all around my face. looking at it ourselves too much, constantly. Well, we are, that's I the thing. I don't like it. I I've, stop. I've started shaving a lot more. I never shaved when I was like busy with a life. But now, because I see my toes a lot, I'm like, why are my toes so hairy? And then once I've shaved them, I might as well just do the whole leg. I'm a feminist, but the coronavirus has changed me. Since I've been queuing outside Sainsbury's, I've been thinking really fondly about the 90s where women could just walk up to the front of a queue at a nightclub and the bouncer would just let you in. Oh. I don't think, I'd, yeah. And like, I mean, that would be great, wouldn't it? If for no other reason but come on in, ladies. <laughs> <while everyone else. laughs> Have a good time in the vegetable aisle. <laughs> and I would completely accept it. I would just walk past all the men. Is it just sort of like if it was a pound for five courgettes and Wonder Bars get in free? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's hooch night every <laughs> night in Sainsbury's. I'm a feminist, but the other day on Twitter, I saw somebody quote tweeting and mocking somebody else uh, for posting in a very tone deaf way about fingernail polish during a really dramatic news cycle when everyone else was focusing on something more important and I looked at that, also judged the person. But then what it said did sound interesting, so I quickly clicked on it. I did not favourite the mocking because I had done that. So no. I want that piece of hypocrisy out there. Yeah. But you did think, I wonder what she's done with her nail varnish. It was it was something what interesting was, what, about nail polish. I don't know what could possibly be interesting about nail polish. The, but in that what, moment, I thought what, I do want to see. Was the complaint that it was too fancy, distractingly fancy? Or was it that it was like kind of cracked and not very well 
No, it was about mm. some kind of new method of... It's like stickers for your nails that look like nail polish. Yeah. So that on du- the news. So that during lockdown... No, it was on the Twitter feed oh, and everyone else was commenting oh. on the important things happening and somebody had posted about stick-on nail polish and someone had quote-tweeted it going, way to pick up on the zeitgeist. And oh, yeah. I went, 100%, come on now, don't be posting about that. Yeah. What's the stick-on well, nail well, polish though? Because my nails are so bad. So I just had a quick, yeah. the quickest look. And then I felt shamed and I I, blo- I, yeah. I just cut it off. But Debs, that does sometimes happen to people accidentally that they seem really insensitive, but it's because they haven't read anything on Twitter before posting. Yes. Like when there was the Blackout Tuesday, mm-hmm. pretty much everyone I follow on Instagram had put up a black square and then something meaningful. And then one of my friends had done a hair tutorial. <gasps> And so it's just all of these black boxes and these like kind of quotes and sending people to articles and lists of ways of informing yourself. And then just my friend being like, hello. Oh, no. I'm going to learn how to straighten your hair without straightening. No, no, yeah. no, no. She yeah. just, I, did, I quote, I quote, te- I quote, te- <laughs> saying awful I know that she having, having, having hair at a time like I this. I know that you didn't. But I will yeah. say you should read the news before you post a hair tutorial. But some people don't engage it that way. Like I yeah. feel like sometimes you think of a funny thing and you only go on to do it mm. or to go, oh, I should add that up and you just don't read the room. I'm, but yeah, you should. I'm saying read the room now. In yeah. these times, yeah. the room needs these to be times. read. I'm a feminist, but the virus has changed me. I've been doing yoga with Adrian every day. And um, while I think she's the most astonishingly kind, clever, sweet woman and so generous in what she's sharing. I also get annoyed that she never does any behind shots. You only ever see her face or from the side. I just want to just occasionally see that tush, like in the downward dog. Like just let the people have what they want. And so that's Wow. I'm a feminist, but yesterday after three Zoom calls, I said to a close friend, I am concerned that my collagen game isn't as strong as I thought. I thought my collagen was excellent. But now I see myself in a variety of lights with the worst possible cameras. I've realised my collagen isn't what isn't the friend to me, isn't the ally to me that I thought it was. And I am especially looking at the collagen in my neck with some uh, hurt that it has let me down at my in my hour of Zoom need. Could it be that collagen, a little bit like your own attitude, is going... When there's more people around, I'll boost myself up again. It's just kind of, maybe it's just going, hang on, we're all checked out physically. What's the point of me reproducing myself when I'm going to use myself up over the years? Mm, Maybe Mm. it's taking a a collagen holiday. Yes, yeah, collagen holiday. A collagen if you will, or even if you won't. Debs, this is now such a good opportunity for you to get a facelift before the end of lockdown and go, yeah, my collagen just had a really good rest. I don't think you're allowed to have a plastic surgeon in your front room. I think the rules on that are expressly... If you pay enough, you can do anything, is the truth. Yes, but they've just announced it's illegal to have sex with someone who's not... You can't have sex with your plastic surgeon. You can't just pay someone to come round. So what, they can can do a quick eye lift, but they can't slip it in. That's... Yeah, no, but, but absolutely, that's it. No kissing, off you go. Well, I'm, Doesn't matter how pretty I am now, get out. Very lucky I'm not dating a plastic surgeon. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a feminist, but the, the virus has changed me. I used to feel sad about the murder victims in my true crime podcasts that I listen to, but since I effectively lost my job, I'm merely jealous of the attention they're getting. <laughs> Wow. It's That's... worse, isn't it? It's worse than flyaway hairs, but it's you in perspective. I, I realise now I need to give myself the world's greatest feminist award. Um, you do. All I do is hope I go missing and that someone gets 12 episodes out of the story. Don't, don't say that, Sarah. Don't say that. Um, no, but I do. I'm so, honestly, so desperate for attention. Listen. I'm going to be one of those people who pretends. I'm going to pretend, aren't I? Face. <laughs> Park my car. At don't say that, because if you go missing. missing now, people are going to go, she said she would look. do this. And that's a really good episode of the podcast. Episode one, she once said ah. she, this would be fake. <laughs> so it was It was only nine years later that Penny One looked. realised. Did she it's, actually? If yeah. I hear a true podcast about you going missing and it sounds like your voice with a funny accent, I'm going to be incredibly yeah. suspicious that you're doing your own I've Gone Missing podcast. Oh. <laughs> 
From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, The Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Sarah Pascoe, and very special guest Sarah Brown and Yasmin Sharif, talking about education. Thank you very much. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White, with me is Sarah Pascoe, and we're talking about education. Uh, so Sarah, how has your week been? Have you in any way found yourself educating yourself during lockdown this week? Yes, I am. Um, I found uh, actually the whole of lockdown, education has come from all different directions Right from the beginning, when I was listening to lots of podcasts about the coronavirus and coronaviruses in general and how viruses work in the body, it's something that suddenly I was thinking about every day that I've never thought about before. And then I've learned a lot from social media. There's been lots of discussions about race and recommendations of books about racism. And again, podcasts and TED Talks. And usually what happens is, I don't know if you're the same, you always put notes on your phone like, oh, that sounds so interesting. Yeah, definitely going to do that. And the one thing about being essentially unemployed is that you can. You just kind of go, I'll do it right now. And um, what about you? Yes, that's a really good point. When I'm charging around, I think, oh, I must look into that. I must read that. This last weekend, I got a, a proof of Nikesh Shukla's new book, Brown Baby, which is yeah. a sort of current memoir. He's writing about yeah. his life now, but like it's a memoir. Oh, okay. Not as a current, because when you say a current memoir, I'm like that's very postmodern. Yeah, I see. He's written a, he's <laughs> what is it like for dried raisins? I mean, yeah, it's a nostalgia piece from a sultana, basically. <laughs> yeah, and I said to Kesh, it feels like there's so many more important things you can be writing about. <laughs> he pushes so many boundaries, doesn't he? <laughs> he's basically he's really humanizing fruit. Yeah, he's basically said, look, I identify as a shriveled grape, uh, <laughs> and you can't stop me. Um, yeah. No, it's a, let's say a, a memoir about yesterday and the day before and his okay. feelings his feelings right now. Uh, wow, so it's like kind of really responsive as stuff is happening. Yeah, so it's, well, it's about raising two daughters who are still very mm. small and being a brown man and having a brown baby and their place in the world. So it's about race, it's about culture, it's about the death of his mother. It's so mm. beautiful, but I've already learned a lot that I think is a sort of intrinsic, I've intrinsically learned something, you know, when you learn it inside of you. Rather than intellectually, you learn yes. it in your body. And that's you, the oh, oh, now I know it. Yeah. That's the power of art, is that ability to make you feel something, not just make you know it. Is it have you yeah. learned anything in lockdown that you feel, that you, a skill that you couldn't do before? No, I really think I intended to have some skills. Um, I started playing my guitar again. Um, which I haven't played for about 10 years. And what I've learned is the first four bars of a song from A Star Is Born. And I can play that four bars <laughs> over and over now? again. Until it... Yeah, I do want to hear. Yes, please, I'm going to get much. it wrong because I'll be nervous. You'll now see how bad this skill is when I try and no. also my guitar's out of tune. The great thing about a podcast is... Grace, don't listen. Again, Sarah. You can have four goes. <laughs> <laughs> you can have four goes and we'll only it's edit... So out, it's so out way. of tune as well. That's all right. That's all right. We don't mind. We don't mind. We're having... This, is, this isn't for the podcast. This is just for friends. Oh. I'm going to get so nervous now. This is just for friends. Just for friends. Just for friends. <laughs> this is out of tune. Is this really hard? That's the first four bars, and I can just do that over and over again. Very good. Yeah. And do you know what makes me... <laughs> so that's the skill I've got. Very you can build a career on four bars, mate. Four bars is all you need. Four bars Petrie, she calls herself all the time. Four bars Petrie, She does. Well, I'm very impressed by that because I have learned to play nothing on the guitar. But I also think the most important thing that we've taken away from this is all the Guilty Feminist listeners are our friends because they will all hear Are they? Yeah. Oh, really? Do you know what? A lot of my career has just been, every time I like really want to hate myself and go, oh, I I'm not doing that very well, I think, just to inspire people with your mediocrity. Live your dreams, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, can be, you can be quite bad at comedy and still be on television. <laughs> like, be what? <laughs> I have, uh, in the spirit of embracing mediocrity while in lockdown, I, yeah. in week one, started dance lessons on Zoom. Oh, yeah. 
which I do every day with an amazing teacher called Melissa Bravo, who's absolutely brilliant. If I'd seen her show reel, I never would have let her. called Melissa Bravo? Yeah, her surname's Bravo. Her real name? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. What else could and I've she said, be? I know, I know. And I've said to her, you should call your school the Bravo Dance School. But yeah. if I'd seen her dance, because she's a professional dancer, I never, ever would have let her teach me because she is supernatural in her skills. And she's also an incredible teacher because often people who are genuinely brilliant at things, they don't, they're yeah. not very good teachers because they're like, why can't you just do it? Because it's so natural to yeah. them. But she is so excited by my progress. I've been dancing for like 10 weeks now every day. And at the beginning of that, like I did jazz ballet as a teenager and stuff, but not very well or for very long. But I was the kind of person that, you know, sometimes as a performer, they'll say, oh, we're all going to do this dance at the top of the show or whatever. When we did the yeah. Royal Albert Hall, we did um, Cell Block Tango and Kiri mm. Pritchard-McLean and Jade Adams, who were leading it with a musical, said, we'll do some basic choreography. And I'm the kind of person who'll be like, oh my God, everyone else is going to be able to do it. If everyone's doing the Macarena, I'll think, what are the steps? What are the steps? And I'll panic. So I am not somebody who is natural with choreography. I can't see what you're mm. doing and necessarily do it myself. But if you do anything every single day you do get better at it. And that is my yeah. inspiration from lockdown is because I've done it every day or at least five or six days a week. And it's something I I like to practice. So sometimes I'll just kind of do mm. it if I'm feeling a bit like, oh God, I've been sitting down for like 12 hours. I'll get up and do one of my routines, Sarah. Um, <laughs> oh God. I actually now, I know there's a lockdown, really wish I lived with you because that would be such a fun thing. Just like you're watching Coronation Street and then like Debs in your peripheral vision. <laughs> Tom Sashaying, spinning. Loves it. If he just comes upstairs yeah. and I'm doing my routine to Christina Aguilera's Show Me How You Burlesque. Um, oh, that's a tune. Yeah, yeah, it is. And um, <laughs> it is. yeah, I've got a routine to the last, I don't know, 20 bars of that. That's a really uplifting song. I used to run to it because actually it makes you really excited. Yeah. It makes me really well, excited, try, that song. Well, try yeah. doing a full dance routine to it, Sarah. Come round. Well, you can't, but why come round? I do um, mean, well, of course. Well, I actually also did Cell Block Tango with their musical with all the female comedians. And we were so bad, Debs, that they made all of us just stand at the side clicking while Susie Ruffle did a tap dance. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you must have actually been pretty good because we all did click. <laughs> we had proper rehearsal. We adapted this. I did um, too. But no, we had rehearsals, but it was due in Edinburgh and it was just too stressful. No. Edinburgh, too stressful there's, no, there's no rehearsals in Edinburgh. But, um, but Debs, what you're saying about doing something every day, I think actually is such an important thing for people to hear because you, like me, have written a book and sometimes people think that things are really insurmountable. They're things that other people can do because there's some magic in them. And actually, if anyone is listening who wants to write a book, if you write an email every day, you can write a book. It's that amount after a year put together and then you edit it and make it better. It's little things. Do you think a publisher would accept they add up. all my emails that I've written in the last email. year? Um, <laughs> so the other day, this is how I know doing something every day makes you more capable. Is the other day I had a supply teacher because Melissa Bravo was off and... She said, oh, well, we'll do some salsa and samba and the salsa will then go into salsa hip hop. Sure. And uh, I mean, it's just my life now, guys. Yeah. And so she taught me this basic salsa step and I did it. And then she was like, oh, and then she showed me again. And she sort of, I could see her getting ready to kind of unpack mm. it. And she went, oh, you've just done it. So she said, we'll add on a bit more then. She added a bit more and I did it. And then she went, are you sure you haven't done salsa before? And I said, no, no, I haven't. And she went, I have never seen anyone do salsa <laughs> oh that quickly God. in my life. She Are said, you a salsa genius? Is right. that your talent? No, no. Yeah. This is me. No. Ten weeks ago, I was the person, if they said, oh, we're going to do a funny, oh, tap the shoulders, tap the knees, bit of something for a party or something, I'd be like, fuck, can I get out of this room? Because everyone's going to be able to do it but me. Ten weeks later, yeah. I am the fastest at learning salsa that this experienced teacher has ever seen. That is about wow. doing something every day. That has nothing to do with me. That's about daily, daily anything. You are going to have to put up a YouTube video if you dance dancing, no, though. Like, you can't just not. talk about this on a podcast. You have to. No, no, it's not about how good a dancer I am. It's about my do, do it. Do it for sports <laughs> relief or something. It's not about how good a dancer I am, and I think we need to make that no. incredibly no, clear. I, I, yeah. It's about yeah. how quickly my brain has got good. Oh, I see. It's... Oh, neuroplasticity, that is as well, though. The My fact brain is that your brain starts using itself differently when you do different functions. That's what I'm saying, is my brain now looks at a step and my feet know where to go and can copy. Yeah. And that's something I've always been 
a bit scared of. But also it's because you use your conscious brain less because it becomes muscle memory. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to consciously think, put your arm over there, put your leg over there. And that's the little tiny thing that makes you forget it because you're consciously thinking about it all the time. Debs, I'm excited. I think you might do Strictly Come Dancing <laughs> next year. I can only assume. And they'll be like, she, she picks up the dances quicker than any other celebrity we've ever had. I mean... And you only have to do one day rehearsal. You do your Saturday on the, like, Tuesday because you're like, I'm already ready. My, <laughs> Get the sequence. It's exactly like that. My friend Celia Piccola, who I'm sure you know too, she mm, did Strictly yeah. Come Dancing in Australia, Dancing with Stars. And she said at first it was like he was teaching a fridge to walk. Mm. And she got so good, yeah. she won, and she really looked like a dancer at the end. Yeah. Um, I, and I think I need to make this very clear to the BBC, I'm not at a Strictly Come Dancing <laughs> level. Now, no, that's, no that, that's what you should tell them, because that's what they want. They want another Widdicombe. So say, you should say I'm that. I'm not Widdicombe. Say, oh, I'm really bad. I will not be no, Widdicombe. say that. No. I'm not Ed Balls. So I won't have this. <laughs> yeah. Say I'm like a female Ed Balls, the ears will prick up. You'll be the success story of the series. Ah. <laughs> No, what I'm talking about is not how good I am, but how much improved I am and how yes. and how we can get better at anything that we decide to do every day. Yeah. So let's introduce our incredible guests. 1.5 billion children are currently out of school during this crisis, but before the pandemic hit, 260 million children were missing out on school and education entirely through poverty and missing life chances or as refugees caught up in conflict and crisis. Sarah Brown is the chair of the global children's charity Their World that is working to bring an end to this global education crisis. One of Their World's campaigns that met with success five years ago was to create a new multi-million pound fund specially to support education in emergencies. It is called Education Cannot Wait, and its first ever director, Yasmeen Sharif, is here too. Please welcome Sarah and Yasmeen. So thank you so much for coming on. Sarah, could you tell us what is their world? Yeah, of course, Deborah. And thanks for continuing with the Guilty Feminist with the new um, at-home uh, format. Our I mean, vision means we don't have to leave the house. So in many ways, it's a walk in the park, Sarah. Whereas what you're doing with their world sounds really difficult. What is it? What's their world? Yeah. And, and during this lockdown, actually, we've been busier than ever because you're having to rejig every single project so that it's safe for everyone who's taking part in it. So our vision at their world is to end the global education crisis and unleash the potential of the next generation, which means that our mission is to ensure that every child has the best start in life, they have a safe place to learn and they have skills for the future. So in practical terms, there's a lot that we do at the top end with policy and research and engaging with partnerships. We've always wanted to forge a way to work with the people who are already working successfully and to find the bit that's missing. So the big agencies, the big UN agencies, the big charities that are so well known do their job fantastically but have needed us to come in and unlock some of the political will and the financing that needs to drip down. And then working at the other end with grassroots organisations on the ground, where we're looking to support really innovative work and to bring our campaigning work there. And Education Cannot Wait was an important move for us because going back just five years, you couldn't actually fund education in a humanitarian crisis, which sounds crazy. Oh, um, so, why, so why was that? So education was always something that was there for in development world, in international development, to try and reach children who are in the, at the poorest and the hardest circumstances. But when a crisis erupted, whether that was a drought on land where families were forced to get themselves away, it just became impossible, or war, and increasingly we've got so many areas of conflict or recovering from conflict around the world. In the humanitarian world, which is extraordinary and effective, the priorities would be nutrition, water sanitation, mm. emergency medical care and shelter and safety. Yeah. And education yeah. just wasn't in the mix. And because there was so much needed. And also essentially it's like let's deal with those things. Let's first. deal with those things first. If yeah. somebody's sitting there hungry, they're not going to be learning, mm. you know, or they need yeah, medical care. Those would be the priorities. But over time, our perception of what's needed has changed. The reality for refugees is that they can be a refugee for a very, very long time. And mm. the average now is calculated. If you, I mean, you, if 
it's not realistic to do this, but if you bunched every refugee in the world together and took the average of how long they were a refugee for, it's somewhere around 17, 18 years. One, seven, one, eight. Wow. Yes. So if a mother's giving birth to a baby just as their family are forced to flee, the likelihood of that child spending their entire childhood and early adulthood as a refugee is quite high. So it's not good enough anymore to say, let's just put in the emergencies. You absolutely need those. And the organizations that do that are phenomenal. Mm -hmm. But it just came time in this world to say, we have to start investing in education within a humanitarian context. And it took a long time. Their world teamed up with everybody we could. We got all the different NGOs on board, the UN agencies, the businesses, um, young youth groups who wanted to campaign and doggedly worked away on a a campaign called The World at School and got 10 million signatures together to take to the Secretary General at the UN. Five years ago, we were at something grandly called the World Humanitarian Summit, where everyone agreed that an organisation could exist that would fund education in emergency settings. And that has happened. And not only that, under Yasmin's leadership, has turned into the most extraordinary, active, successful organisation. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask, actually, Yasmin, can you tell us about the last five years and what you've achieved? Thank you very much. First of all, I want to thank Sara for inviting me to this. It's been exciting to listen to you and to be part of this. I'm very excited. Thanks. And also to show how dreams can come true if you're really determined, because that is how education cannot wait was created. Through all that advocacy that was led by Sara Brown and Dear Word and on the front lines, so I felt when I came in, here's this beautiful vision. I mean, it's an incredible vision to deliver education to 75 million children, of whom 39 million are girls, in the most abnormal circumstances on the globe. In conflicts in Syria, in Afghanistan, in Chad, in Nigeria, the Rohingyas. So the dream is there. They have created this. And now my job is to make that a reality. This is what I like. It's like, this is, whoa, we're going to make this happen. Yeah. Uh, because you, have a, you yeah. have a great vision, you know. So when we started, there were about $100 million that had already been collected in connection with the World Humanitarian Summit. But we have very high targets, how much we have to raise. And we also had to get out there. It's not enough to raise funding. We have to go out and reach, we call them those left furthest behind. Those are the ones who are living in Taliban girls in Taliban areas in Afghanistan, uh, children and young people living in one of the 12 militia-controlled areas of Central African Republic. I mean, really difficult circumstances. So, Yasmin, so how does that work? Because you say that to me, and I feel like I understand the research phase where you kind of go, okay, that there are people there. But how do you then go, now we get to those children? You know, when you come in like a doctor, you do a diagnosis. Like, what's went wrong? Mm -hmm. Why on earth are we not investing in education for children in crisis? Something is wrong. Because, like, we always speak about investing in the human capacity. We look for those of us who are parents, like, education is the most important in the budget, you know, your household budget. So it's like, why not investing in the human being? And as Sarah said, I mean, refugees 17 years, and we're not going to invest. Something is wrong. And what we discovered was that though there were many funds doing education out there, they were operating sort of in parallel. They were doing their own things in parallel. So we said, you know what, whether you like it or not, there is a big organization called the United Nations with 193 member states, and they have 30, 40 years experience in coordinating and helping us to reach those kids, they they have a system. So we're not going to go and create some parallel system. We're going to go straight into that system and we're going to mobilize that system to help us deliver education and mobilizing the resources. So we we use the UN multilateral system for our goals and our vision. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so there's a whole framework already in place that you can utilize rather than if I decided, oh, I think I'm going to go to Afghanistan. (laughs) You're not starting all over again. No, you're trying yeah, to operate no. with things that are hugely at scale. And yeah. also, so yeah. you use a system and use what's already built, but you're yeah. also making it work very fast. The point about any humanitarian response yes. is it's got to be very quick. So when you're moving what medical kind of time supplies, scale? 
Well, Yasmin can move financing if, if it's mm. gathered there within a matter of weeks to get there. Yeah. You'll always yeah. have the people who are putting in the shelters, putting in things. We didn't go into that big system and did the same old thing. We went in and mm. challenged the system and said, now we have to move with speed. You have to do things differently. So we, we didn't succumb because it can also be a big bureaucracy. We said, no, we're going to do this with speed. you got to challenge. You're going to do it differently. And we got them yeah. with us. Um, so it was not like using the system as it were. Yeah. It was a new system. Yasmin, you have such an incredible energy. Mm. I bet you really do speed people yeah, up. I bet. Like you, you make sure. me want to go, yeah, absolutely. What do you need? Yeah. <laughs> I'll do it now. Uh, my tactic is to speed, especially the donors, up to such an extent that they say, take yeah. it, take it, just take it yes. and go. <laughs> just, just leave, just leave. Yeah. I'll give yeah. you whatever you want. <laughs> Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I am particularly interested in the Mariah camp on Lesbos because Josie Norton from Help Refugees took me there and it was the most life-changing experience. And I think I didn't realise until I got there what a privilege it was to get to go in and, you know, we had to show our ID and they were really not letting anybody in unless they were like other people who work with Josie had to stay outside. It was sort of like, yeah, okay, we can take you and one other. The biggest impact of anything, because I went and saw lots of grassroots charities and foundations and organisations, some run by refugees who have formerly been displaced, but now have a status in Greece and choose to work with refugees. And the thing that impressed me most was a Gecko Kids School run by an incredible woman called Eleanor. She has to work at lots and lots of different speeds because she said you'll get like an 11-year-old who's been fully, fully, fully educated and is completely advanced and an 18-year-old who's never been to school. And you have to teach those young people side by side. And the thing that I took away more than anything was how unbelievably driven those young people were to learn. I've never seen anything like it. I found it distressing how focused they were. I went into um, a science class and all of these young people were all just, they all live in a refugee camp and it's just like, it's a horribly overcrowded refugee camp with just tent to tent to tent with very basic facilities that was a prison camp. So it's an awful place to live. But the school is, you know, like a little townhouse, nice little townhouse and you, you go up and the teachers are really lovely. And these kids, when they're in that room, are 100% focused and they're all like helping each other. If they don't understand something, they put their hand up and they ask. It was a child in a Greek uh, language class broke my heart because he was so small and he was like desperately writing things down and like trying to understand them and soak them in because the difference between him understanding Greek or not understanding Greek is the difference between him you know, maybe living or dying, having an opportunity, being able to get food, being able to, you know, get a visa. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I was going to, say, to ask Sarah and Yasmin, when you've grown up in a country where you take education and school for granted, it's not about, oh, being able to speak French. It's about your work life, your communication, your role as a citizen later. Thinking specifically about the Maria camp in, in Lesbos is actually a really good example and place to start. That camp is so overcrowded and the daily experience of those young people who are there is there's so little to do. The thing I found uh, going there that I observed was that desperation of these long hours of each day that's just waiting, 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 and so little to do. And that appetite for education is so high. And that's an experience wherever you meet refugee families, parents will always say, I just want to make sure we've got enough to survive. And then my priority is the education of my children. And the same with children. That's their driver partly for their future, but partly for their daily life. I mean, otherwise, the boredom of sitting doing nothing is so soul-destroying. So in Maria Camp, the Gecko School is a wonderful school, but it can only accommodate a small number of the young people that are there. So the plan with Their World and Education Cannot Wait working together is to fund education centres that we've now got approval that are just off-site. So they're able to leave to go to them. And we're coordinating funding. There's already one in place there now for... Maria camp and we're looking for other camps around those islands 
working with the support where the Greek government supports it happening. Because, of course, they're quite keen for refugees to keep moving. They don't want them there mm. for too long. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. we know that some people are there for just a few weeks before they get their papers to transit on. Others can be there for around two years. That's an awfully long time for a child mm. to miss school. And what was the amount of young people and children in those camps? So How big are they? Maria Camp is built for, you'll maybe know better than I, Deborah, from visiting there recently, but it's built for about 3,000. When were you there last I October was there, time? Yeah, around last October. So it was already tripled over the capacity and it's now up at about 11,000, I think. So it's just impossible. Um, I think it's more than that now. And then it's going up, 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 where you've got numbers that aren't accounted for because they're in that land beyond the camp. Yeah, I think um, it's more like 14,000 now, and that yeah. might, might even be wrong. And it's going um, up, up. So there's no sign of it going down. There's not been a lot of um, opportunity for young people to move onto the mainland and kind of keep moving their visas. So you're just building up a problem. And also this tough. school is not for the families of you know thousands of people. This school is... Um, Eleanor, who runs it, is an extraordinary human being and a brilliant, brilliant educator, and they adore her. But the one thing that really, really touched me was that she said, oh, yesterday we had these children come in and say, we are not in the advanced English class and we want to go up a grade. And she said, well, you, you have to do an exam and you have to pass the exam. And they said, we know and we're ready. We want to do it. And she said, if you don't pass it, you have to keep learning and do it again. We said, we know and we want to do it tomorrow. And then these other kids heard and came over and went, we want in, we want in on this, we want to be in the top class. It sounds wonderful to hear teenagers being like that, but actually when you're there, you sort of want some hijinks, you want some teenage undermining the teacher kind of thing. You think, these children should be having a childhood. It's this sort of like, I want to be able to speak English brilliantly because that's my opportunity, that's my survival. And when we learn French at high school, it's about passing an exam, it's about doing a GCSE, it's about maybe being able to speak a bit of French on holidays, but do we really care about that? No, we just think, oh, I've got to learn all these boring verbs. And so uh, what I thought when I saw these children was every country in Europe should be down there with a binder saying, please come to us. You are 100% the... But that binder. isn't happening, Deborah, and you know that's not happening. And of in course, fact, it's worse but that, it than that. Be. But it's be. worse than that. Who doesn't want those young people in their country? The individual countries around Europe, not one of them is stepping up to fund education which is why their world's work to gather in donors to get these things started. It's why Education Cannot Wait has stepped up and worked out a system to make them happen. And so the front-facing part of the work is Yasmin and her team in there lobbying to get these centres created, making sure that the best teachers are available. And there are fantastic people who are prepared to devote their time to teaching and to build different shifts so you can accommodate large numbers of people coming in at different times. Also, the ability to be able to put in social distancing if we've got that to consider. Um, this well, isn't something that's going to fade away. Another question we were going to ask you, which is how has the pandemic affected learning in refugee camps and refugee camps in general and your work? Partly to make us go back to, I was going to say the behind the scenes piece is to actually go and actually go to the European Union and ask them to come up with the money because it's too hard to put it on the shoulders of charities like Help Refugees to think that their donations will go there and that will fund all of education, we need some of this bigger financing to step up. So the pandemic on a day-to-day -day life, where camps have had to go into lockdown, I think it's been pretty grim for them. On the other hand, it was the mainland that actually had the cases, um, and they had short periods of lockdown where absolutely no one was going in and out of camps. And I think that was quite a hairy time to kind of I mean, as it has been for everyone, but to be in that situation so much worse, you just don't know what the next day, the next week is going to bring, where your freedoms are, you know, being eroded all the time. But the opportunity of these centres is you can create something where you can put in the flexibility to have socially distanced ways of being there, as long as a camp isn't under lockdown. And also working with all these new ways to use technology. The two things that have been real lifesavers for the mind have been um, WhatsApp and being able to stream learning through it and uh, shortwave radio, being able to put out lessons. But for children who were there, we've been getting stuff in there where in with the soap and the sanitizer that's been going in is putting uh, writing materials and exercise books and things like that. And then classes are running from WhatsApp videos and shortwave radio. And we learned all of that with Ebola in Africa where when everyone was really, really under lockdown in their houses, everybody still wanted to learn. 
And then Education Cannot Wait is there to be able to say, right, really quickly, we can mobilise the resources, the materials to get in there while it's an emergency. Yeah, it's amazing. So I wanted to ask you the um, the wider question about kind of girls and education, because across cultures across the world, um, more commonly, it's people can't always afford to or don't reach out education to girls or they don't get educated to as old an age and that's something obviously that their world is really um, focusing on. Yeah we're passionate about girls and um, I'll hand across to Yasmin in a minute but just to um, I think the thing that really hits home for me is that around the world two-thirds of the people that if you take all the illiterate people in the world two-thirds of them are women of course they are they're the ones who've missed out on school they weren't chosen in their family to go to school but it's those mothers that are raising their children so the knock-on effect for their for their education, for their health, for the, you know, what they can earn. Um, and the thing that's always struck home for me with girls is for every young girl in sub-Saharan Africa that gets a chance to go to school for each year, that will improve her earnings by 10 to 20 percent. But that, which I think is such an extraordinary thing, that's just one year of school. It's huge. Up, up, in terms up. of investing in women and then what they do to the economy. I mean, that's that's the numbers right there show you that you get it back. But countries are starting to understand that where education ministers, finance ministers are making decisions. I think they're understanding more and more. And when you look across the area, it's not so much that girls are missing out going to school. But now we've got to fight to make sure they stay at school for as long as the boys do. Because the susceptibility to child marriage, to FGM, all the things that will take them out of school, um, that's where the fight is to get them to stay there. And the other big discrepancy in the world is in urban areas, you've got almost equal numbers of boys and girls at school, but it's the rural areas where the girls are at risk because they're at home, they're working, they're looking after younger children. Yeah, but it makes so much sense if a country is set up in a certain way, if it's expensive to send a girl to school, to send anyone to school, and then you don't have enough prospects to make money afterwards. Of course, if you need a pair of hands helping around the house or with a farm or a family business, of course it makes sense for you to go, well, that person has to stay home and do the work. First of all, what education does is, of course, to empower them. And, and education cannot wait, has invested in... Today, we, we are delivering, through our partners, quality education to 4 million children. Um, in, over the past three years, we reached wow. four, yeah. 4 million children and youth of whom half are girls, 50%, nearly 50% yeah. of, of them are girls. And there are countries where we even exceeded that targets, like Afghanistan, where girls for a long time, for many years, were really locked up at home and absolutely not even allowed to go to school. We have reached all our investments there, include 60% girls. And the same in Nigeria, where girls are very um, living a very risky life. You have this Boko Haram, they're being kidnapped. For them, education is to empower them for the future. Uh, here, it's important to bear in mind that girls are two and a half times more likely uh, not to attend primary school. And 90% of girls uh, in these countries of armed conflict and crisis do not even attend secondary school. And we know you have to move on to secondary school at the minimum I mean, preferably even tertiary education, but at least secondary school. So they're completely excluded. Now, and that's because of the dangers. Yeah, the dangers. So yeah. what happens is you have the child, early child marriages. So they'll get yeah. married away when they are 13, 12, 13 years because the parents will sell their daughter of 12 to some old man and they get some money to live on. Then you have the trafficking. And we know that trafficking is very organized. And when you have a conflict, you have a war economy and trafficking is part of that and prostitution. So the girls then fall prey to that. Then because you have conflict, there is a lot of anger and violence overall in the air. And who do they take it out on? At home, the domestic, uh, at home, outside, they take it out on the female population, the wives, their sisters, their girls, and the sexual gender-based violence. Because rape, for instance... It's a method of warfare. You want to yeah. fight your enemy, you rape their women. And that's why it's so important in all our investments that we have a holistic approach. So there has to be protection. You need to be protected yeah. in the school environment. I've seen school environments where anyone can just walk in and grab a girl and disappear. So just building walls and having guards and making sure that they're secure there. Training the teachers to understand uh, the respect for girls and also... 
how they teach and treat boys and girls in class and getting into the curriculum, and making sure that girls can go to do their sanitation and the hygiene in separate toilets that allow them, that they can go to school even when they menstruate. Mm. I mean, that's a huge yes. barricade, yeah. uh, barrier for girls. Yeah. I think this is such a huge thing for Western women, yeah. and not just women, but listeners to hear about, because quite often people, especially, they'll think, oh, I hate that trafficking happens, how can I help? Or I hate that there's rape in war, or people are very against child marriage. But thinking about education as a form of protection from those things, it's so amazing to have a useful approach to it rather than like oh this is terrible I wish it didn't happen in the world yeah. well, it doesn't have to yeah you know, I come from a global health background Yasmin's from a human rights background um, as a lawyer and both of us have found ourselves on this path that's converged where mm. you say mm. I've been spent all my life fighting to stop things happening things that shouldn't be happening now yeah. we can if you find your way to education you're finding something you can build that can yeah. provide yeah. a kind of protective surroundings it's preventative as well as that yeah glorious opportunity for learning at the center Um, and we do face a world where young people increasingly have been denied the chance to have the skills that they need for the future and this opens up that opportunity because if we have a world where young people don't have skills to be able to be employed or to employ themselves they're going to be pretty furious you know Mm. yeah so all of us it's in all of our interests to act and move with this and it's such a simple step to take. And our job, I think, is really to be getting in there and unlocking that political will, unlocking that funding. So, mm. you know, the work to support a charity like Help Refugees that the Guilty Feminist does is absolutely vital because you know there's on-the-ground work that is every single day providing support and help and opportunity for people who are in crisis. But And we will work alongside them always. But I think the opportunity we have at their world and working with education cannot wait is to kind of batter down some of the doors that we know we can get access to and mm. try and get some of those big financing decisions. But mm. it all loops around. We can't do it if we don't get the support back from people. So, so rather than being yeah. a charity that says, can you help, you know, donate here? I think everyone should go and donate to help refugees now. But the help that we need yeah. is people going onto their world's website and signing up to support a petition that says, Right now, the thing we need is the support to unlock that financing for the Greek islands and for the refugees there. Yeah. Well, the listeners heard you say that. They're very, they're very, um, they're very motivated, Deborah's listeners, aren't they? they are, I mean, the, we're very lucky. The Guilty Feminist Army that we're all part of is very active. So yeah. what do we do to help? We go to the Their World website. Go to we... theirworld.org. There's a fantastic newsletter you can sign up for free that once a week will put information into your inbox that just gives you stories a lot of them very positive about what young people are doing where they're learning I should say actually you have you have lots of youth ambassadors and actually the thing that's really incredible is seeing what young people do for other young people and how young people understand education while they're within it yeah we invest in a cohort of around a thousand global youth ambassadors they're in 90 countries around the world but they each of them lead their own organization and their own movement so when we have a part of the world where we need to say right let's put the ask there we need to unlock funding here We do it every time there's a conference for the Syrian refugees for the financing. We'll do it when there's an emergency situation and Education Cannot Wait has a fundraising round where all of our global youth ambassadors will suddenly use their network so that they're writing in directly to the political leaders and decision makers and influencers who can make a decision. And they're a pretty mighty force. So we can add our voice and our power and show our repugnance for displaced people losing out on education and girls being overlooked in education. If we go to their world, T-H-E-I-R world.org and please read up on education, cannot wait and give money. It's really nice to have positive, constructive things to think about because I think quite often people are so overwhelmed with things that they know should be better. I think that's why organisations like Their World, it's so great to hear about what they're doing. Because you go, oh, but, but, there, there's ways of helping. Yeah. I think also when it comes to Their World and Education Cannot Wait, I think your organisations, we're also movements. I mean, we are something that mm. people can relate to. We are not uh, dusty bureaucracies. I mean, we are, uh, we are, you know, there is, there, there is, a, there is a force behind this, uh, and it's the new way of doing things and of changing the world. Uh, you know, the old is no longer going to shake up and inspire. 
we have to be much more forceful and passionate. And I think that's what their world in education cannot wait represent. And when we join forces, we become very powerful. And the goal is to get everyone to join forces with us. Everyone is welcome. Yasmin, I have so much confidence in the fact that you're going to be the person who gets absolutely everyone doing it. Well, that's what she says, Sarah. But yeah, yes, I absolutely believe it. Yasmin's technique is she goes in there and tries to make them really enthusiastic. And if that doesn't work, she just doesn't leave until they do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one. It's a really good one. And I look forward to visiting Lesbos again and seeing the schools and education centres that you're yeah, able to absolutely. build. Yeah, absolutely. Come and visit. Because I found the children heartbreakingly keen, and I just thought, God, I wish I'd been that keen about studying when I was a teenager. You know, I, I was very keen to study, but nothing in that in that realm at all. But then my survival didn't depend upon it, and that was my privilege to be able to look out the window during maths thinking this is boring. I just think it's something we've all got to pull together on. And if you have any money, you can donate it to help refugees, choose.love. If we don't have any money because of the lockdown, other people do. Some people still have their full-time jobs and they've got nowhere to spend their uh, usual disposable income. They, there's The pubs aren't open, the gym memberships are suspended, Pizza Express isn't expressing any pizza. So say to some of those friends who've got full-time jobs, hey, what are you doing with all that money? Could you give something to choose love this month? Could you set up also, a direct debit? Also, posting online going, oh, I've just looked at this amazing organisation and I find this so interesting. I've signed up to their newsletter. That kind of involvement, when you say, yeah, we're a movement, that's how you... Move it. You Yes. Exactly. Yeah, the, news, the newsletter's really great. Involved. It's not too onerous. It just comes once a week, but it's always got an action there and you can take. But the yeah. big action at the moment is to get the European Union to understand that it is time for all those European countries to stop, you know, mucking around and, you know, step up. And none of them have put money into education yet individually, but they can do it out of that collective bucket. I mean, Europe has always been proud of being the advocate for human rights and democracy. And you know what? Right now, no one is complying with international refugee law as far as the Greek islands are concerned. No one in Europe is upholding those rights by saying we're going to support these refugee children. And that's a pretty dangerous path that Europe is taking. So the appeal is also, it's better to live up to your standards if you want to have that moral authority. You created them. Now you better be part of them and make them happen. And the children on the Greek island, as Sarah has explained, for someone, I've seen a lot of humanitarian situations, that is probably the most disgusting and painful situation I've seen in many years. The one for the children on the Greek island. Yeah. Yeah, it's very sad and yeah. And yet yeah. they get up every day ready to learn and looking absolutely immaculate with their hair done. Some of the teenage kids with cool hair and doing amazing Oh no flyaway no hairs. Fly no fly hair. flyaway hairs. So they making more effort than they Deborah. are. They are. Wow. They are. Wow. With okay. Outfits and good hair and and <laughs> doing amazing art projects. Some of the most incredible photographs I've ever yeah. seen in my life and you're like they put us to shame. Anything that you do will be so overly appreciated by those young people. World Refugee Day is coming up on the 20th of June. So there's a big focus right now on getting global funding lined up to make announcements around that date. So do you know when the time is to give a good push for their world's petition? Now. Now is a good time. But also any other campaigns you spot that will be raising the profile and how much public support there is to give refugees a better deal everywhere. So World Refugee Day, 20th of June, put it in your calendar and shout about it because refugees do not have a home, they're displaced and they don't have a government that they can say to, oh, could you help us? They've got, they can't vote. And, it, and also it just seems like lots of governments, if their citizens aren't saying I care about refugees, aren't donating the money aren't putting the mm. money in because they assume that their citizens don't care. So we have to show them, oh, we, do we care. really do. Yeah. We do care. There are votes watching. in it. Yeah. There are votes in it. Yes. And the UK is not excused from this because we, for some reason, have left the European Union. You know, uh, we are still in Europe and we still need to pull our weight along with the European Union. Thank you so much, Sarah and Yasmin. Yeah, thank you so Is there much. anything you came to say that you didn't get to say that you would like to say? Did either oh. of you want to play the guitar for a little while? <laughs> <laughs> Something Tenting like that. as it is. Or do some dancing. Even. Yeah. Or do either of you have an I'm yeah. a feminist part? <laughs> yes, Mean. Um, yeah, no, I'm just very happy to be here and I love your approach. And we look forward to see more support for their words, advocacy for the children. And, you know, there are over 50 nationalities on the Greek island and support from Europe, financial support. 
You know, mm-hmm. the difference between a child who cannot read and write and one that can and what stands in between that is financing. It's financing. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah. The other thing that I've learned from, you know, years on being on the inside of government looking out is that moment where political leaders make a decision and how they make a decision. And you may not think that your one petition click or your letter that you write makes a difference. But I have seen remarkably few signatures make a politician sit up and take notice. And I've been in rooms of, you know, world leaders sitting together and mm. you have a few minutes where their attention is focused on it and they make a quick yes or a no. But if the work's been done where voices have come together to say, we want this, politicians don't like being unpopular. They like to say yes to a lot of people. I think that's so empowering to remember. People can care a lot, but it can be interpreted as apathetic because they don't vocalise anything. So the idea that by putting something on a petition, actually for a politician, they think, well, that person must really care. They've gone to all of this effort. And that's what's important to remember when we can quite often feel like nothing does matter that we do. We're just one person who cares. It's like you could be the tipping point of them mm, going, mm. oh my gosh, 300 people sent this today. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know that if 300 people have written, there's many more people yeah. who are thinking it. Who care, mm, who mm, feel the same mm, way. That's yeah. absolutely mm. true. Um, to play us out... Uh, it's the incredible Grace Petrie and Folky Ben. Grace, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, Does this sound dreadful to you? No. Okay. It sounds cool. lovely. I think we should take our headphones out. Yeah. It so. sounds dreadful to us. Um, but as long as it doesn't sound dreadful to you, that's fine. Um, uh, so, Ben, uh, Folky Ben, Folky Ben Moss uh, got uh, accidentally quarantined at my house. We were, um, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but. Uh, we were on, on tour in Australia together when um, Corona hit and uh, we uh, had to fly home and um, <laughs> poor old Ben has been here ever since. Had to fly um, back to somebody's home anyway. Yeah. Have you kidnapped a man? Um, this just sounds like a really big excuse. Uh, if you're to, like, talking to us, Sarah, in my we flat. can't hear you. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I, I can chip back in with the headphones, but uh, no, okay, fair play. This is, it, no. this, do you know what? We should play charades like this. Just, ring the, just someone ring the police. <laughs> Uh, we believe Foki Ben Moss has been kidnapped. We, Go again, say it again. We believe Foki Ben Moss has been kidnapped. Um, oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's I here do, I do he's keep here trying to blink in Morse code on the Zooms, but I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think the resolution's good enough for you to pick out what I'm saying. <laughs> you could do a lot worse, Sunshine. Um, so what we did is um, uh, at the start of lockdown, we started doing an alphabet of cover songs. And um, we did one a day, obviously, for 26 days. Um, we uh, started raising money for the big issue, which I just want to give another quick plug because um, obviously during uh, the coronavirus crisis, vendors can't sell the big issue on the um, streets where they normally would do so. Um, it's very worth, uh, if any of your listeners are interested in taking out a subscription to the big issue, that's what something you can do during lockdown. But we thought we would give you a little bit of, um, bit of All Saints. To, uh, to play you out here. This is my favourite one of the entire <laughs> alphabet that we did. So um, N is for never ever. Take it away, Mossman. A few questions that I need to know How you could ever hurt me so I need to know what I've done wrong And how long it's been going on was it that I never paid enough attention? Did I not give enough affection? Not only will your answers keep me sane But I'll know never to make the same mistake again You can tell me to my face Or even on the phone You can write it in a letter Either way, I need to know did I never treat you right? Did I always start the fight? Either way, I'm going out of my mind All the answers to my questions I have to find My head's spinning Boy, I'm in a daze I feel isolated Don't want to communicate Take a shower 
That's what you'll feel with Boland Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Boland Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com So long when you 
You're gonna take me out of this black hole Never ever have I ever felt so sad The way I'm feeling, yeah, you got me feeling really bad Never ever have I had to fight I've had to dig away to find my own peace of mind I've never ever had my conscience to fight The way I'm feeling, yeah, it just don't feel right well done thank you thank you grace and Folk thank ben. you um that was absolutely brilliant um and uh weirdly even though the lyrics are very sad i do feel better good that's always the aim that is always yeah. the aim i felt myself dancing now because as you know i'm a professional dancer yeah. i know yeah um and i just i did want to say from earlier when i said i've just picked up salsa like that that skill of learning choreography is going to go in two weeks of me stopping dancing. If I stop dancing, two weeks later, I'll be back to... So, be so, back. Ne so never stop. Yeah. I'm never not going to stop. I'm not going to stop, but I'm just saying it's a temporary state because I don't want someone in six months' time when I'm in another country on tour with the Guilty Feminist <laughs> to be like, oh, you're really good at choreography. I don't want to be held to this standard that I've set up for yeah, myself okay. for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's possible. Someone challenges you to a dance. <laughs> like, mm. it's and you're just like, I it's, haven't been practicing. It's possible I'll go back to being a choreo numpty, is what I'm saying. And I want to reserve the right nah, to be I able to go back so. to, I'm scared no, of this. Nobody puts baby in the corner. Uh, have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Sarah Pascoe, and our very special guest Sarah Brown and Yasmeen Sharif, with music from Grace Petrie and Ben Moss. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Zalinski for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Craft, Gina DCO, and everyone who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Grace Petrie, if it's not Grace Petrie, is not really talking about. Is she going to feel Grace Petrie? I think I should say with, do we say Grace Petrie and Folky Ben or no at this point? Well, I mean, he's here. Can <laughs> <laughs> you see him? Yeah. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, I think I should say, yeah, okay. We, we come as a package these days, my okay. husband and I. Right. <laughs> um, What's your dog's name? My dog's name is Frank, sorry. He's only here because he okay. will bark if he's anywhere else and disrupt the record yeah that's the same my boyfriend's had to take the dog in the garden yeah <laughs> yeah I hate for that exact cats. reason yeah. they they think we're just talking to ourselves they're like <laughs> yeah. what 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 are you doing it's all about me <laughs> yeah sorry Deb. um Thank you so much to all of our patrons but especially those who are supporting us at the smash the patriarchy level or above valerie marr sarah belcher John Quakoy, Sarah Brown, Ruby Rose Thompson, Sarah Boom, and Philip Engelhart.